Okay, welcome to the Edlow Podcast again. Hello, Randy Hochtefer. Hello, Josh. Thanks for having me. I am really grateful to have you. You know, we we haven't known each other a long time. We ran into each other. Uh, we met at a wrestling event, an indie wrestling event in Sacramento, and just hit it off. And we've been we we've became fast friends. And you have become very quickly a um, a staple of the Northern California independent wrestling community. How did how did you tell me how you got involved and how you how you found it? Uh, well, I. Basically, I've been a wrestling fan uh, of WWE, WWF, my whole life um, since WrestleMania six, and mm-hmm. uh, always watched pro wrestling. Little bit in the Attitude Era with WCW, but I've always been a WWF guy. Always, mm-hmm. never went away from it. Uh, I thought indie wrestling was beneath me; that it would never interest me. Uh, probably because of you know the product kind of teaches you that when you watch. WWF, they make you think that you don't want to go to bingo halls. And right. uh, so I believed it. And uh, Stephen Larson, I don't know if you're familiar with the Stephen Larson Going in Raw podcast. I, I they am. Do a, they do a Raw review. Well, pretty much everything nowadays, they review anything. But I've been listening to them since uh, 2014 and a huge fan of theirs. And then uh, one day, we, me and my wife are listening and they told us to come out to uh, Sacramento, that Joe DeSole was going to put his ownership on the line, and blah, blah, blah. And me and my wife looked at each other like, we should go meet Steven Larson. You know, that'd be cool. When are we going to get this opportunity? And uh, so that's the only reason that we went to Action Coast October last year. And, uh, you know, we met them, got their autographs. Uh, and then from there, we met Trip Rogers and... Low Devereaux and Godfather of Swole, and my life has been changed ever since that day. Like, you know, I think Stephen Larson were the bridge to get me where I needed to be. No, that's <laughs> awesome. It's so the cool thing about independent wrestling is well, in wrestling in general, and I've shared this story on the podcast before. Uh, I remember I was doing some work with in, Impact Wrestling back when uh, Hulk Hogan was still involved and Sting and, and Bobby Roode and all those guys. And we were doing a tour. Uh, we were doing a tour of uh, Washington and I was helping backstage with the meet and greet. And I was sitting there with my friend who, who was helping me with the, with the promotion. And I looked around at all the people and I just, it was amazing to me because I told him, I go, dude, I'm a, at the time I was a law student. And I was like, I'm a, I'm going to be a lawyer and I look at these people and we have nothing else in common except wrestling and it binds us all. And I think that's so cool that I, I meet, I have met so many people through wrestling that I would have no other Avenue to really have anything in common with or, or be in the same place. And it just, it's cool. Like, you know, uh, I think of a uh, dark Sheik or, um, uh, you know, a number of people, the, the Stoner brothers, you know, it's just not my, it's not my bag. Right. I, I don't, right. but, but I run into them, you know, we, we have this common bond and, uh, and they're, they're good friends of mine now. And you're, you're one of those people too. And, and like I said, you're, you are so hardcore. You go to everything every weekend. What, what, what is it that you love about independent wrestling? Uh, number one is just the, the ability to be heard. Like, uh, 
I don't know. Well, from the first time Trip got into a little bit on his episode with you, um, just how I snuck into his DMs, you know, and I just took a shot. He, he stood out to me. He was wearing Bret Hart colors. I was a Bret Hart guy. Mm. And, uh, and something about his, his whole personality just reminded me of like, I went back into the eighties, you know, and, and the, the, the characters and the over the top, you know, uh, ravishing Rick Rudes and like trip would definitely be in the Heenan family, you oh, know, yeah. <laughs> and it, it just, it just reached out and, uh, he, I really liked him. And then I really liked low Devereaux and I, uh, that night I got home. It was like two o'clock in the morning when we got back from Sacramento and I just sent him a message like, Hey, it was awesome. Thank you for uh, taking the time with my daughter and letting her hold your championship and all, all this little things now looking back. But at the time, like I thought I was going to be forking out a whole lot of money to get an autograph or, you know, and, and don't take your picture. You're going to have to get their permission and, you know, make sure it's okay. And it wasn't like that at all. They approached us and like uh, Godfather of Swole, Raphael, uh, the very first time he ever spoke to us, he pulled his phone out and took a picture of with my family and uh, immediately had it on his Instagram. And we were just like, did that just happen? Like, they don't take our pictures. Like, that's very <laughs> weird. And they didn't ask us for money. And it just, it really was welcoming. It was just a breath of fresh air that I didn't even know I needed. And then I started, uh, like I said, that night I sent Trip a message. He responded immediately. And then we talked probably till like four in the morning because I thought Trip Rogers was going to be the only wrestler that ever answered me. You know, this is my chance to ask every question that I've ever had for the last 30 years. <laughs> and I was hitting him with all kinds of stuff. And he was, you know, answering and just being very receptive. And we hit it off that night and just became great friends. And I uh, started making trash bag onesies and following them around. And then I started getting bored and wanting to venture out and see other things. And, you know, it's it really took on a life of its own. Uh, we have promotions, reach promoters reaching out to us now and asking us to come to their venue. And it's at Reno or it's in Texas. And we're like, what is happening? Like, why? Why is this? This isn't. You know, and I still pinch myself every day because I'm living a dream on the weekends. And, you know, it's hard to believe that I have all these people surrounding me that care about how I feel about wrestling. And I and I don't have to pretend not to be a wrestling fan. I can actually dive into it. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just awesome, man. <laughs> that's yeah, my that's, favorite part. <laughs> yeah. And if you were if you were a wrestling fan back in WrestleMania six, I mean, there was a time there where. uh well, yeah, you kind of you kind of kept it in the closet if you were a wrestling fan, you know. Yeah, and, yeah I got made fun of the first time I said I liked wrestling. You know, I brought some of them old rubber wrestling figures, the Hogan and Iron Sheik and Junkyard yeah. Dog. I took some of them to school, and I, everybody was like making fun of me because I was watching the fake stuff, and I knew it was fake, but I didn't know that people thought it was stupid for being fake. I just thought we were supposed to pretend it was real, yeah. you know, like Hollywood, but they didn't agree. So yeah. I, you know, I just kept it quiet. Didn't want to, you know, and that's how my whole life was. I would find one or two wrestling fans at a job. And then we would kind of talk around the water cooler when nobody else was around and, you know, but it wasn't a social, you know, like it was in the attitude era where that was when it was cool to be a wrestling fan, but I was older and didn't really have a lot of friends. 
so it wasn't you know i was in the wrong time i wish i was in high school back then yeah i was i was in high school back then and that was a wild time because uh, I, I don't remember what happened but i just remember there was one time i can remember the day in fact i was on a i was on a basketball trip and uh in yeah people were making fun of me because i had missed the basketball practice to go to a wrestling show and they were making fun of me and then another guy's like i like wrestling and i was like really and he goes yeah and I was like, what do you think? And he goes, Stone Cold Steve Austin's kind of a jerk. And I'm like, and that was when, you know, right before Stone Cold blew up, right? Okay. And, and so, so he before. was, you know, yeah, and he hadn't won his champion, a championship yet. Or he hadn't gotten, he hadn't really gotten his huge push yet. And we were talking about those things. That, and the next thing I know, there's a bunch of people wearing, you know, Goldberg shirts, NWO shirts, Stone Cold, The Rock. And all of a sudden, everybody's watching wrestling. And I'm training to be a wrestler. So then all of a sudden I'm cool for being a wrestler. And I just was like, that's so, it was such a wild time. And so, uh, so it's cool. And the, you're right about indie wrestling. The cool thing about indie wrestling, it's so different than if you go to a WWE show because all the wrestlers are so accessible. It's a big family. It's super intimate. You'll never leave uh, thinking you had a bad time. Uh, everybody's super cool. And, and I just, I love it. You know, I, yeah. I there's a, there's, there's uh, a lot of people prefer indie wrestling to the big shows. Is that kind of where you are now? 100%. I, like I said, I have, a, I have, ne I probably maybe in my whole life since WrestleMania, since raw has started, I've probably missed five episodes in my mm. whole life. Like it was religious to my family. We always watched it. My kids loved it, you know? Um, but since October, I, I don't think I've seen a pay-per-view. You know, maybe a week later, I'll catch up on it. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I haven't seen Raw. You know, I see highlights here and there of the bloodline and some of the stuff that I'm still into, but it's it's different. I, I, I'm bored with it, and I would much rather be at an indie show or watching indie footage or editing something or, you know, just doing doing something with indie wrestling because I just feel like it's, like you said, it's family. And that's, you know, and I, I feel like I have an obligation as well to, like, help them blow up however I can. If I can, you know, promote their shows in my town, bring people from my town with me when, when we go on five-hour road trips, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's it's the other cool thing about this, you'll you'll see this. I know you're you're still relatively new, October, so not even a year yet. Yeah, not yet. I've been I've been in this in this area involved in wrestling since 1990. Well, to, probably really got involved in the pro wrestling scene in 2000. So it's been over 20 years, and it is the the coolest thing to me is when you see guys who came from here make it. So, like, I remember Will Hobbs when he just broke in, you know, and uh, Jeff Cobb, same thing. You know, Jeff Cobb is out in New Japan now. J.R. Kratos, same thing. You know, I ran a wrestling uh, – well, I, I owned a wrestling promotion and a wrestling school for a while, and Oliver John trained, uh, you know, trained for me uh, when, when we had a, a training school. All those guys came through there. Brian Cage is another guy who came through. Thunder Rosa is another one who's come through. And to see all these people who, I mean, I remember Thunder Rosa when she was sitting in the crowd at a show we did in Woodland before she even considered being a wrestler. And now she, you know, she's an NWA world champion and been on all elite wrestling and she does 
So it's just cool as you as you get involved in indie wrestling, you see these guys progress into becoming the people you see in the WWE and AEW in New Japan. And I and you know guys like I mean I Trip has like whatever it is. I think if I'm not mistaken, that October show was the one where Christina coined the what thing, right? Uh, no, I think it was the uh, that was the previous show when I went. Oh, actually, it may have been because we were late. We couldn't find. <laughs> that venue we had a really hard time yeah finding out where to park and how to get in it because the uh the parking lot security thing started yelling at us that they were going to have the police come take us away and we believed it so we we're <laughs> like hey, we can't be here we gotta it's gotta be back you know we so we missed we didn't get there till intermission so um yeah, yeah the first time we didn't even see uh because i think the the main event that Joe DeSoul had ownership in. I don't even think Trip was a part of it. Mm. I think it was like a six-man, but somehow we saw Trip. We met him. I don't even think I seen him wrestle that night. But uh, but he's he's always been a mainstay. Pretty much the first, like, 12 shows we went to, he was just at them. It was just random no matter where we went, what event we went to, he was there. So it just kind of felt like, well, we should just start following this guy. He's kind of everywhere. And uh, but, yeah, he's and he's a hard worker and he's a good worker. I mean, yeah, he really, and a good guy. He is, and he is a quality guy. So, so let's talk, Randy. You know, um, you talked a little bit, threw out some things there. Like there was a time when you didn't have a lot of friends, and uh, you know, growing up, where did where did you grow up? I uh, grew up in Fresno, uh, where I'm currently still living. Uh, but I moved away. But I I, I lived here till I was about. 18 years old and then uh moved away for good reasons and came back in 2018 mm. and uh have been reconnecting and putting my roots back where they belong now that i'm grown up and mature and you know mm-hmm. clean from the bs i had but yeah i had a crazy uh teens my teens were uh not great but before that i had a great upbringing for the most part you know, I had a very uh, cookie cutter life where I, had a, you know, great. I was an only child, so I was spoiled. You know, uh, um, my mom. I lived with my well. I was spoiled on my mom's side. My mom and dad divorced before I was ever uh, born, uh, and that was. Um, there's some trauma in all of that. Uh, uh, I guess I could go into a little bit of it. My dad was very abusive to my mom. Uh, and after, gosh, probably six months of her pregnancy, um, the cops ended up having to be called out to the house because he was, you know, you know, just being really mean to her and a violent with her. And uh, so the cops, you know, the cops took him away and she basically split from him then. So then when I was born, um, he was kind of in the picture here and there. Uh, but I didn't have any memories of him until I was five years old. Mm-hmm. So me and my dad were very estranged all the way until he, he died in 2018, 2017. And, uh, so me and him, he, he wasn't the best. He, me, when I talk about my dad, I have a very bad childhood, but when I talk about my mom, I have a very good childhood. So I well, guess it know- just depends. <laughs> that, that's it. Well, that's interesting because 
I'm very similar in that way. My, you know, luckily my dad is more of a success story because my dad had a, he had a lot of struggles and that I think came from, you know, his upbringing. Um, cause he had an upbringing, I think that was probably a little more similar to what you're, you know, you went through, maybe not exact, but very similar. And he struggled with a lot of things. Um, and like I said, luckily he, like you, you know, was able to get past, sounds like he had some demons that you had to get through and he did too. And he was able to get clean and sober. It's now fantastic human being, just a really good person, but it was, it was a hard go, you know, it was a hard go for a long time. And, you know, trauma is a trauma is a problem i mean you know i've heard someone say that what you're when two people get together in a relationship you know you you're not you're not responding to the stimulus you're responding to all the things that happened to you as a kid that caused all these triggers that trigger you to act a certain way when you're older yeah so, um but i but my mom is very similar to yours in that my mom was always there and always striving as hard as she can to give us the best life she could given the circumstances I can remember times when my mom took me and my brother. My 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 siblings are all very spaced. You know, I, I have a brother that's five years younger than me, and a sister is ten years younger than me, and another sister that's twenty-one years younger than me. And so, I can remember me and my brother when we were kids. Before my sister was, she might have been a baby, but she wasn't really, you know, eating per se. And my mom taking us to McDonald's and buying us dinner, and then not buying herself anything and i'm like why aren't you getting anything and she's like well i'm not hungry but it was really because we didn't have the money for it you know right. she fed us and not herself and you know that's that's just the type of person she was and so so you, you mentioned going back to you your story um that your dad was was violent uh with your mom it sounded like while she was pregnant with you was there any sort of trauma that you're aware of that occurred to you while you know while your mom was pregnant with you uh well i know that i i have a, a birth defect um my whole uh right side of my chest is uh like basically reversed where my rib cage uh is basically instead of like if you're looking at it it's the opposite way so hmm. you can put your hand right here and feel my breaths, you can feel my lung moving. If you push on it, I can't breathe. Wow. So it's like it's wide open. There's nothing protecting my lung, which is why I'm not a wrestler. I would be a wrestler <laughs> in a heartbeat if I could. But yeah. um, um, and, and my spine is very crooked from it. Uh, my left leg is like five inches shorter than my right leg. Uh, my, my, le my left arm is fully formed, fully strong. I have muscle in my right arm. My or my left arm, but my right arm, because I have no pec, so I have no like chest muscle. <clears throat> and then in 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 uh, also my whole arm formed weird because it was in it like was formed into my chest, so they had to cut it out. So um, yeah, it's just really weird. My body is like half half of my body is one hundred percent what it should be. And the other half like suffers a lot because wow. of all of it. So um, doing pull-ups in high school, I'd get made fun of because I could only reach the pull-up bar with my left arm and my right arm was so much shorter and, and so weak that 
I couldn't even dream of doing a pull-up and nobody understood that. Like that was so funny to everybody else. But, but to me, I didn't even know why, like I didn't never even connected that. Oh, it's because of my chest. I just thought, Oh, I should be able to do this, but I had no strength. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but that was because my doctors always told my mom, you know, he's got to, uh, protect him because, you know, I probably should have had surgery at a young age, but my mom was scared to put me under the blade back then. It was a different time. And uh, so she just chose to to let me stay this way. And uh, and I don't and I don't think she ever really talked about it to protect me so that when when I was like 10 years old, suddenly I realized I was different from everybody else. And, um, you know, so it was very. Um, like she did a good job. I know what she was doing, but at the same time, I think that she didn't prepare me for like just reality of like, people are going to probably make fun of you in school for this, but just doing it or whatever. But, um, but then I also remember thinking that sometimes that she did um, set things in my brain before the kids ever did because I remember going to high school my first year as a freshman she was more nervous about me going into a gym and changing in front of kids than I was I was like okay whatever this is going to be cool and I think she was like no it's it's not going to be and when they when they start teasing you and when they start saying stuff and mean things to you and I was just kind of like what do you mean they're not going to do that you know because they had never seen it but that that was because we wore shirts, you know, but right. so it was weird. But but I, I didn't get too much of it because I think she prepared me so much for it that then I just became super um, like inclusive. And I would I would wait till the locker room was empty before I changed or I would, you know, do things because, oh, man, what if they do do that? You know, so then I already had it in my head that I was going to get made fun of before they ever did make fun of me. So it's you know, it's both sides she protected me but then at the same time she kind of threw it all at me which i think screwed me up <laughs> yeah well you know the thing is so it's one thing that i've learned as a uh, as a parent myself is you know a lot of this is guesswork right <laughs> you know? like there there are so many things i've got four of them and there's so many things that that are thrown at me all the time that i'm just I'm, i feel like i'm constantly adjusting you know what I mean? Constantly trying to figure out even like my kids, all of them be, I feel like from one day to another, they're completely different people. You know, like, I don't know how it, how it became. I remember I just recently, I think I posted on Facebook about it or something. My, my two daughters got all dressed up for something. I can't remember what it was, but they got all dressed up for something and they came out of their rooms and I was like, Holy crap, you guys are young women. Like you guys are, you guys are women. You know right. what I mean? And I go, when did that happen? And then I started looking at pictures of old pictures of just a couple of years ago when they were still like babies, you know, and they just, they change so quickly and you have to adjust on the fly and man, you know, so it's like your mom, I'm sure she was trying to do the best she could with you. you I know? know she was. Yeah. Yeah. But... So, so you're, you're going through this <clears throat> and you, you have this, this, this birth defect. You say your dad is, is uh you know in and out of your life tell me a little bit more about your father what, what was he like uh he he was uh he was well 
going back to his youth, he was abused. Uh, he came from a, a, a very abusive home where he, he uh, at the age of five, he was abused so badly by his birth mother that um, he lost his hearing. They say it was like a traumatic uh, effect, that, but it, it was also from abuse. But the doctor said that he could get his hearing back anytime, but he just chose not to. And uh, but he, but we think he was also hit so many times. I think it was just a mixture of everything. But um, so when when him and my mother met, um, so he was one hundred percent deaf. He could only read lips, but he did learn how to talk before he lost his hearing. So he could always talk pretty clearly. So you could talk with him, and he could read your lips really good. So you didn't have to learn sign language too much um, to, to communicate with them, which was nice for me. And, um, but when he met my mom, he was on the up and up. He was a, a, a very, um, born again, Christian. Uh, he had a Bible he kept in his back pocket. He was out, you know, preaching and trying to bring people closer with love and all the, all the right things. And then like, Three or four months after that, after they started dating, then he ended up running with the wrong crowd and uh, got got into. I don't really know what he got into, but he he got into drugs, uh, probably cocaine, heroin, uh, all of that stuff, and ended up you know not coming home, uh, running the streets, running with the motorcycle gangs and all that stuff. So he turned into a completely opposite man of what he was three months ago. And um, so I think my mom put up with it for a couple years. And then uh, right before I was born, like I said, they divorced. And uh, she basically left him like she didn't want nothing to do with him. She, she didn't want him to ever see me again. She wanted him out of my life completely. Um, he uh, kept kidnapping me as a baby. Like uh, he kidnapped me a couple times. They, my mom would get me back. Uh, she wouldn't really press charges on him because she was afraid of him. He was a, a very dangerous person. And, he, and uh, he didn't have any fear of the police. He'd been to jail, in and out of jail so many times. It was like home to him. So it was like there was no reasoning with him back then. Real quick, let me stop you right there. Was there a specific, you mentioned he ran with biker gangs. Was there a particular gang that he was involved with? Not, not that I know of, but I do know that he ran with the Hells Angels that were in Fresno at the time. This is in like 76, you know, and uh, and he, he was in like their chapter here. Um, but he was in, I don't know what uh, gang he was in like through most of my life. Mm. I just know he was always in one and he would take me to the clubhouses and like, um, I would kind of see it because I, I would see my dad maybe for a week every five years and um, for good reason. And um, so I, I have very vague memories of stuff, but I remember very clearly like one day, you know, where we were here with bikers and he was doing stuff he shouldn't be doing with a bunch of women he shouldn't be doing stuff with. And, he, and I'm just kind of stuck in this room where I'm waiting for him to finish what he's doing so that we can go somewhere else. And I, I remember feeling like very awkward and like this, and I was probably like five or six and like, this isn't where I should be. This is wrong. 
there's bad stuff happening, but, and then, and then I don't have very many more memories. So I don't know really a lot of stuff that went on in those years. I, I blacked out a lot of my life until I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I don't know. A lot of people have memories of being five and six. I have one before I was 10. And that's when I was with my dad on my fifth birthday. And uh, he was, a, he, I remember he got mad at me. And uh, I don't know why I was with him. It was my first memory with him. I think he convinced my mom to let him have me for the day. And, uh, you know, and then I remember going home and being like, yeah, I don't want to see him again. And I didn't really know why. I don't remember why. But as hungry as I was for a dad to go home and tell my mom that I don't want to go back and not to see him again until I was like 11. So there was six years that I didn't care to see him again. And I don't really know why, you know, but. um, Well, let me let me ask you a little bit about that. So, you know, you had a loving mother and uh, tell me about, you know, what was it about a dad that you've hungered after specifically? Um, God, I don't even, I think the, the, what I wanted the most was to not be afraid of him because my mom was so afraid of him that I think she instilled this fear of like, he was the boogeyman, you know, he was the, the big evil and the only evil that I needed to worry about in my life was him. So, um, through my adolescence, I guess, or my, my, my youth, I think I, I wanted a dad. She was a single mother until gosh, she was probably eight or until I was eight, eight or nine. And then she started dating um, who would be her, her second husband. Great guy, really good provider. Um, but, but he wasn't a father. He wasn't a, a, you know, he wouldn't take me out and teach me how to play ball or take me out and, you know, do anything that a father and son do, you know, all he wanted me to do was work and he would teach me how to work. He would teach me how to fix a car. Wish I would have paid more attention. You know, <laughs> he would teach me how to fix lawnmowers and cause that's what he did. He would, he, he ran a lawnmower business on the weekends. So if I wanted to hang out with him, I had to work, you know, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to do that when I was 10, you right. know, I wanted to go play and go to the carnival and go do stuff like that. And my, um, you know, so I think my mom always knew that I had this longing for him, but that I didn't know how to tell her because he was so hurtful to her that I felt like I was betraying her if I wanted him. But I think she saw through it and knew that I had to make that decision for myself. Like I had to see that either he's good or bad and, and go off that and not let You know, so so she would always go against her better wishes and let me let him see me, let him have me for a day, even though I know it ate her up and she didn't know if she would ever see me again. I'm sure, you know, Mm -hmm. because he he was nuts. And um, but I'm really grateful that, you know, I'm grateful that she did all that, even though looking back, I kind of wish now that she didn't, that she would have just been like, no, he's big evil for a reason. And one day you'll thank me. (laughs) <laughs> but, um, but the thing is though is you you know if she didn't let you go out there it's it's a it is a it, it's i'm wrestling with this right now uh you know how much do you let your kid um 
how much do you give your kid versus how much do you let them deprive them of things, you know, because they look, if you, if she had not let you go out with your dad, you might be resentful of her for not letting you do that. And you never would have known that he's the boogeyman that he is, you right. know, letting you go out there. You see, now you look back and you go, man, she should have stopped me from going, but if she had stopped you from going, you'd be mad. You know, you might be on this podcast saying, yeah, my mom wouldn't let me see my dad, not knowing that there was a really good reason for that. Right. So it's, it's, uh, being a parent is hard and I got him again, being a single parent is hard, you know, yeah. I mean, having to figure that out, trying to, trying to make it your best, especially, you know, did your mom, did she come from a good home? Yes. Yeah. My mom came from a great home. She had a great dad. Uh, they, they split up and divorced at some time during her life, but, um, but they were always, uh, they always got along with each other. They, I always remember every Christmas and Thanksgiving, grandma and grandpa were there, uh, grandpa with his, with my new grandma and grandma was never remarried or anything, but they were friends. They, you know, I, I never knew that they were divorced or that they were an ex-couple. I knew that they were my grandma and grandpa. Didn't know where this other grandma fit in, but she's <laughs> my grandma too. But the way they got along, you know, it, it just made sense to me for whatever reason. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so now you're um, you're going through your life. Uh, you know, you you have a couple more instances with your dad. Talk to me about the high school years. What was okay. that? So that that's where. It, things took a shift with me and my mother as well. Um, she ended up getting the divorce from the lawnmower repair guy. Um, and when that happened, I think like for the longest time I was indifferent to them divorcing. I was like, uh, I like George. I like my life. I like how things are going. Um, I have two bedrooms, one for all my wrestling toys and one for my bed stuff. And like, I was spoiled. Like I said, they took care of me really good. And, um, but my mom was miserable, but I didn't see it. I didn't see whatever he put her through in the, when the doors were shut and they were fighting about adulthood. I didn't see a lot of that. So I didn't, I never understood why my mom suddenly was going to get a divorce, but she had told me like, Hey, me, uh, we're going to leave George. We're going to go get our own place. And I was four, 14 at this time. And I was like, uh, okay, you know, well, I, I was already at working also. So I told my mom, I'll, I'll help cover bills, whatever I need to do in the apartment. So, and then I started getting really excited. It's going to be me and my mom against the world. And, uh, and I, and I was really looking forward to that. I remember thinking this is going to be awesome because for, for such a, like a year or two, George had kind of put a damper on everything because they were always fighting with each other. So now we'll get to go be happy together. And as soon as we got into the apartment and we, and they divorced, um, like two weeks later, she met somebody and she fell in love with somebody and she was wrapped up and she was gone. Like, so all of a sudden it went from, it's going to be me and you against the world to now you're on your own in, in the apartment when you get home from, you know, seventh, eighth grade. And, uh, and, uh, um, I introduced her to the guy that she ended up falling in love with and marrying 
and he turned out to be like um i thought we were going to be really good friends and and he was a like a brain twisted super christian bible thumping guy that um because me and my mom always considered ourselves christian we went to church you know and uh but but this guy ended up convincing my mom in like the month the the month or two that they dated that i had to be gotten rid of i was the devil i was the one who was bringing her down and that loving hello uh 30 minutes Uh, all right thanks and um and they had convinced he had really had convinced her that because of uh that i listened to motley crew and guns and roses and watched uh cinemax after dark that uh i was i was the devil the devil was in me and the only way that they could have a successful marriage is if she cleansed herself of me and the only way to do that is to leave. And he ended up convincing her to move to Pismo Beach while I was at work. So when I got off work, like my mom was now gone. My house was all my stuff was in bags. And I was like, I was like, what the what the hell is this about? Like, and it, it really shocked me because I never saw my mom in a million years doing that. And um you know, and yeah, like I was, you know, cutting school here and there, doing stupid, rebellious things. I think reaching out for her attention because she was dating somebody and had kind of left me high and dry in my book. So I'm, you know, now that I don't have a father figure to punish me and she's kind of let me down, I'm just going to not care about school, uh, start smoking weed, start doing little things here because. I need something to fill the void. And, um, you know, so then that ended up being what I was the devil of instead of just like my mom should have been like, no, I've smoked weed my whole life. That's not the devil, you know, but it was, it was weird. I don't, I still to this day don't understand how he, how he did it because no one could have done that to my mom. But so, so let me ask you, wait, so you're telling me that you and your mom are living together just on the two of you and she bails and you're just stuck in an apartment by yourself at the age of 14? No. Well, the apartment was at this point. Well, the apartment they met that we got when they met, when they started dating, we ended up moving from that place into where he was living, which was over a church. He basically did like church security, like a church maintenance guy. And then he mm. got the the apartment was part of part of the gig, we so he it. lived on campus. So we ended up moving into his place into that apartment. Um, it was a one bedroom, so I was living on the couch, and uh, but I was still working full time at Fat Burger up the street. And mm. uh, yeah, I remember I was just at work uh, working in the drive through. They came through the drive through. They asked if I was going to be taking a break soon. I said, Yeah, I can, I can come out and. Uh, take a break. So I went out and they told me that they were moving to a Pismo beach. And I was like, Oh, we are like, I got kind of excited for a change. And they just kind of told me in a nonchalant way that I wasn't going and that everything was packed and all my stuff was outside. 
and that if I wanted to keep making the life choices I was making and I was just kind of like, wait, like you're telling me this while I'm at work, I'm at a full time job. I'm 15 years old. Like mm-hmm. what life choices am I doing? And I'm still going to school. Like, <laughs> you know, right. it just seemed very, very blindsided. And, yeah. um, and so me and her had a very big falling out. And that's when I ran to dad and I went full, full on into his world. Mm. And, um, like, uh, I, cause I, like I said, I had already been dabbling in marijuana and little things at school, smoking cigarettes and cutting class. So, um, I was just like, dude, if I go, if I go find my dad, like I probably won't even have to go to school. Like mm. I probably won't have to, you know, it was like, he'll probably not even let me, you know, he understands it. So I, I just made him like what I needed him to be, which was just somebody to, to like be there for me, <laughs> period. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I expected out of it, but I needed some kind of guidance because I knew that my mom, um, that what my mom did was wrong, but I also felt like I deserved it for what I had done. So like Wait, everybody, let me, let me stop you there because you were making bad choices. You felt like you deserved to be essentially abandoned. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I guess I convinced myself, like I knew it was wrong all the time. Like mm-hmm. I knew like why, but in order to not be so angry at her and hold it against her, cause I didn't want to be mad at her. I didn't want to hate her. She was my mom, mm-hmm. you know? So I just kind of lashed out and punished myself like, and I wouldn't reach out to my, my family that I knew and loved, like her sisters, my aunts and uncles who loved me. Um, they would have done anything for me, but I felt like because mom left me, none of them are going to want me. Like I can't tell. And, and, and how do I tell them what happened? That mom just split with Richard and disappeared. The, yeah. Like, so I just hit, I went straight to the streets. I got to imagine there's a lot of self-loathing there. Cause you, you know, you, you gotta understand too, you know, you're, you're 14, 15 years old. Your brain isn't fully developed yet. You don't, you don't have a, you don't have the, the capacity to comprehend what had just happened to you. Now that you're, you're older and you've got, you know, some years behind you, do you, do you realize that that wasn't your fault? Yes. 100%. Yeah, it took it took me probably 15 years to come to that conclusion with, uh, you know, I had to finally have a long heart to heart with my mom because it, it affected so much relationship problems, um, trust issues, abandonment issues, fight or flight. Just I, I was everything, everything that comes with, you know. And when, I always when you say that, let me just stop you right there. When you say that, tell tell me what you mean. So like, trust issues when it comes to women. Yeah, trust issues when it comes to love. I would mm-hmm. say when it comes to commitment, because no one loved me more than my mom. Mm-hmm. To this day, no one's ever loved me more than my mother loves me. So for her to give up and say he's on his own. And knowing full well that I was going to end up at my dad's and what that would do, but that she still chose that to make another guy happy, you know, it was just really hard for me. So if she'll do that, any woman will do that when they find somebody that makes them happier than I do. 
man, you know, that um, I can see exactly what you're talking about. You know, when you've been when you've been abandoned, when you've been betrayed, it's hard not to assume that if the person closest to you does that, anyone could, you know, that's and will. Yeah. Like, I believe that, you know, they will. And so I always end up sabotaging a lot of, you know, like my first I, I mean, kind of fast forwarding here to my first wife. But like I went full on my dad and did exactly what I swore my whole life I would never do. You know, I, I, I was in such a hurry to have kids. I was in such a hurry to be a good father and, uh, you know, ended up getting uh, met her in church, you know, got her pregnant pretty quick, not, not doing things the Christian way, you know, and, uh, right. um, and then, uh, had my first son and everything was going good. And then when my daughter, my only daughter was born, uh, like a year after a year behind my son, like we were like, we were, um, already completely destructed as a marriage and it was completely my fault. Like (laughs) I had gone outside of the marriage already. I had been not coming home at like, like the second pregnancy really did something to me like made me like, I don't, I don't, I I talk to my daughter about this all the time, you know, trying to like work my way through what I did to her mother because it was uncalled for, you know, it was a horrible, horrible thing that she never deserved. She, she was a good woman. She was a great mother. She did right by me for those two, two, two and a half years. And I just, you know, turned into my father and turned into somebody that I never wanted to be got wrapped up in all kinds of, you know, outside sources and not coming home at night. Can I ask you, can I ask you what do you, do you know what it was that triggered that for you? I looking back, I think it was the fact that we were staying with her parents and um, I think it was just the fact that, I realized that they were disappointed in me more than like she wasn't. She was fine. You. Why? Why? What, I, what? I, I think that um, just that we were living at their house that no, I couldn't provide yourself. that mm-hmm. I was, you know, cause they were, he was a, he was a electrician, mm-hmm. you know, he was a journeyman. He, he, he was probably at this time making 40, 45 bucks an hour, you know, and, and had a had his house already that his family home that they've lived in the whole family was raised in and it was like I never came from that but I wanted it so I tried to insert myself and that's the whole I think I think all of it really connects to the fact that I was still at this point trying to connect with my mom cuz this all happened I ended up chasing my mom down the road to Pismo and that's where I met this lady and met her at church. I was trying to be, cause she was still with the same guy too. So I'm still trying to be something I'm not so that I'm accepted by my mom again. So mm-hmm. I have to play Christian or at least fool this guy mm-hmm. so that my mom can love me again. Okay. Can, can I just stop, stop you right there and ask you this? Cause you keep referring to being playing Christian. And I hope I just, as a Christian myself of the Mormon variety, um, right. I would tell you that if you understand 
the root of Christianity, we're all by definition playing Christian. Right. None of us, you know, you mentioned like we didn't do things the Christian way. Well, in some form or another, no Christian does everything in the Christian way. Everybody's got their own pet sin that they're that they're nursing, that they're that they enjoy. Maybe yours, maybe yours at that time were a little more visible so people could see them, you know. Right. But everybody, but everybody's dealing with that. I hope you understand that as a that even you know, I don't know if you still refer consider yourself a Christian or not, but the whole purpose of Christianity is not perfection, it's progress. You know, so you so you just getting one percent better every day, even if you fall, like that's the whole point of the atonement, right? Is that Jesus came so that that way, when you make mistakes, you can be forgiven and become a better person, even if you make the same mistake over and over. So, so I hope you understand. And, there, and I only say this because I, I know a lot of people who are Christian who are really, they really, they really are hard on themselves for for the things that they've done or the things that they're doing, um, because it's very aspirational. It's, it's an impossible standard. God, Jesus says, be, be perfect. Even as your father in heaven is perfect. That's not possible. <laughs> you can't. Right. So, so it, it leads to a lot of shame and I hope you understand, you know, this is just me, my own, this is the doctrine according to Josh Edlow that, that just because you're not, you may, you may at a time not have been living the way that you feel you should have been. The, the doctrine of salvation is and the doctrine of the atonement is, is that you can be forgiven of those things and become the person you want to be. And it sounds like you're you're getting there now. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all we can do. That's all we can do. We're always trying. You're not going to you're not going to be perfect. here. You're not going to be perfect in this life, you know. Right. And so so now now back. I want to go back a little bit to the high school years. So tell okay. me. You know, um, and I don't want to go into, into any real detail. I know you've talked to me a little offline about some of the stuff that that went on with your dad, but yeah. But when you're as you're going through this, you you eventually you. How long were you kind of staying with your dad before you kind of broke free of that? Um, that was right after my sophomore year. Um, is when mom's split. So I think I was almost sixteen by this. Point fifteen, something like that, and uh, and I lived with my dad pretty much that summer, and then and then I realized I don't want to, I don't want this life anymore. Like I, um, I want to go to school. I want to go to my junior year. I want to graduate, but then my dad was like super against it. You can't go to school. I have a warrant for my arrest. If if you know I'm on the run, I don't even have an address. You know, we're living apartment to apartment, couch to couch with my dad, you know, selling drugs, doing all kinds of stuff. I have no business trying to enroll in school. <laughs> and uh, so so basically I couldn't finish school. Um, I either had to if you're going to go to school, you're going to go to school um, at lunchtime and make dad money. That's your job now, you know, and that's what I did. And, uh, you know, but. That was like the first month or two of what would have been my junior year. And then that's when uh, we hit rock bottom. My dad got but All kinds of stuff happened in that last two months. But um, uh, 
you know, let's just say that I had a, a lot of clear signs that I needed to get away from him and stay away from him and that anything, anything else is just going to be detrimental. And, and I probably will never make it to 20. Mm. Um, did you, so who did you end up with? I ended up, uh, after a really bad night <laughs> where, uh, ended up at one of my dad's parties and a lot of bad stuff was happening. And, um, long story short, there ended up, uh, being an overdose at this party. And, um, I discovered the body and, uh, and just the whole way the situation was handled. Um, my dad basically, uh, made me feel like an idiot because I was crying and I was emotional and I didn't know what to do. And just the way he, like, I remember he was hitting me in the front yard, basically beating me up because I was sad. <laughs> and, uh, so they went and did what they did, uh, with, with the body. And, uh, I know that's kind of weird. I don't know what to say about this, but, um, yeah, well, we don't um, have to go too far into that, but I just, but I remember go ahead. that day, um, I, I didn't go home. I didn't know where to go. I knew I needed help. So I just walked the streets, literally thinking like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die tonight. Like, I just need to die tonight. I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't know who wants me. I don't know where I belong, where I fit in. And uh, so I remember walking by this payphone, and it had a, a help, a suicide hotline prevention, something. And, it, and I just stood there looking at it. And I'm like, I don't think I would actually kill myself, but I don't know what to do right now. You know, so I just called it and like just to just to talk. And they ended up sending uh, somebody to pick me up and took me to like this group home type of a place. And uh, I stayed there for a night or two. And then they ended up contacting my aunt, my mom's sister, and she ended up coming who knew nothing like I went six months without telling anybody what happened. So my whole mom, mother's side of the family didn't know what happened to me. All they knew is mom went to Pismo. We don't know where Randy is. Mom's not telling us where he is. He, he must be living with a friend or he's doing okay. They had no idea. So when they found out what really happened and that I was abandoned or that I had nowhere to go, my aunt immediately took me in, um, you know, uh, tried to give me structure again, tried to give me rules again. But I was so messed up from the six months with my dad that that was that wouldn't work anymore. Like I, I, I couldn't I couldn't have structure. I, I, you know, I had habits I still had to break. I had addictions I still had to work my way out of. Um, and I didn't even know how to talk about any of that with them. You know, so there was a lot of me living a double life, like trying to be the me that they know I am and that they that I've always been. But then I'm also the me that I became with my dad. So I would live that life in private. And I think that just snowballed into my adulthood where I always had two sides, like the side my mother raised and then the side that doesn't know how to deal with things. And he just kind of reverts to that like broken 
man that my mom didn't raise. Like, you know, it's let me, let me stop you right there. So, uh, what does that side look like when you say you run into this this place where you um, where you're broken and you don't know how to deal? What do you? Is there like do you do you run away? Do you get aggressive? What happens? Um, I get uh, I I hide away. I mm. get very reclusive. Um, like before October, um, since I came back in 2018, I'm based. I have friends. I have uh, my high school friend Brian, who was my friend all the way back in these days. Uh, we reconnected when I moved back, and we're still friends. We've always been friends. But aside from him, I don't have. I didn't have. I don't have another friend. I've never really had a male friend in my hometown except for brian so when i came home i had my family but they had all grown up my cousins were grown up and everybody had moved on in their 40s so life wasn't what it was when i left so i really didn't have any like um social life so from 2018 until last october it was me april and april's kids was all the people that I associated with, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I didn't work yet. I didn't believe I could work. I, you know, gosh, there's so much to go into, but, um, <laughs> you didn't think you could go. Yeah. So, uh, let, let's, let's try to keep to the chronology here. So you're in yeah. your, it will get into all that, but you're, you're in your twenties. Then you have your, uh, your first marriage and that didn't work out and you, you blame yourself, which, if you're still dealing with these these demons um is this something that you've always kind of dealt with off and on um well definitely when it comes to relationships Mm -hmm. um always and probably every aspect of my life i'm sure i deal with i'm sure that's the reason that i don't have very many male um counterparts or friends or role models is because most of the time i just either um, tell myself that I will never measure up to what they are or what they, you know, like they had a father, they know how to fix a car. They know how to uh, fight. They know how to, you know, I don't just, just stupid things that you think guys know that I don't know. Cause I was very feminine, I guess I was very like, not feminine, but very um, emotional. I was a, a very heart, Everything with me is like off of love and compassion. And that doesn't fly in a man's world, you know, and most men don't give the, you know, they don't care about that. They don't want to talk about feelings and they don't want to talk about, you know, all of that stuff. So I had to try to pretend to be like a macho guy, which I'm, I never have been. I'm, I'm a very, I love to talk (laughs) in case you can't tell, you know, and, uh, so I just always felt that I didn't fit in with people, uh, with men. So I would always gravitate towards women because I got along with them. I could relate to them. I could get on the same level with them. I could talk about romantic stuff or talk about this or this. Mm-hmm. But then I also don't believe that the woman is going to stay with me. So then I end up betraying them and hurting them because... Kind of, I, kind of like a situation like I got to do this to you before you do it to me, like a, probably, like a yeah. preservation. Yes, as soon as I feel any kind of disappointment 
from mm-hmm. them, then I just I go off the deep end with it and they hate me. They're ready to go. They've they've realized what your mom realized. Even to this day, I still battle with that. Even though I know me and my mom are like so good now, we're on great terms. We've hashed it out and I forgive her, but it still plays a part in thinking that nobody will stick around. I I totally, I totally get where you're coming from. I mean, that, uh, that abandonment attachment uh, thing that people have, it's a bugger, man. I mean, it really, it really does mess with you. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's really what you're saying to me. It's, it makes, it, it makes sense. So it sounds like what you're saying is somebody naturally in a relationship because you love somebody they're gonna hurt you the reason it hurts is because you love them right i mean if it was just some random person it wouldn't hurt so much but because you love them they hurt you and if they hurt you a little bit you kind of overreact to those things and then you hurt them a lot and so then they leave and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy oh they were always gonna leave right so here they go leaving the that that overreaction part is the part you got to deal with, right? Because, you know, it's it's interesting because I believe, like I know that I've known of some people who talk to me about their their relationships and they say I want a relationship that's you know w- with someone who's not going to hurt me, and I go, dude, that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? It doesn't exist right. because because people are imperfect. And you're not going to find somebody who is perfect for you all the time. People hurt. And that's, that's uh, unfortunately the nature of relationships is that people hurt each other. But you look past the hurt and you build from it and hopefully they don't do it anymore. Um, and, and, you know, they're worth, they're worth keeping around. And so, um, so tell me now, do, do you, as you're, older and you kind of you you strike me as someone who's very introspective uh do you feel yourself getting better with this yes i I do well because i mean um i think it's i think my my second my last marriage that just ended in 2018 that one did a number on me and i think uh i just i really don't want to do any of these things again. Like I'm just tired of not, because uh, because I loved her. She was a great woman. We had 18 years together, great years. You know, some years were were not great, but I mean, you know, to me, we were best friends the whole time. Even though we might have had problems here and there, you know, a lot of it also from me again. But mm-hmm. you know, um, but we were always like, we were going to be like my grandma and grandpa. Even if we divorced, we're still going to share holidays and we love each other that much. We Nothing will ever come between it. And then and 18 years later, she pulled the rug out from me when I was not expecting it at all. You know, we were in Arizona. I was in California dealing with my dad's death, my dad's funeral, going through a lot of stuff internally, emotionally with, with all of that. And, um, and in that same moment, she told me, don't come home. Don't come back to Arizona. Um, I'm seeing somebody else. You're not welcome at your home. Uh, you know, so. And then to be like, but what do you mean I'm not welcome? I got a, a son that's, you know, 13. 
another son that's 17. Like, what are they going to do? What do you mean? I'm not like, I'm their kid. I li- or I'm their dad. I've lived with them forever. Like, like, can't we finish this? <laughs> can't we finish this story and then, and then do this, you know? And, uh, she wasn't having it. So, uh, so yeah. So I was basically abandoned and homeless in California where I, you know, originally was abandoned and homeless in the exact same city, the exact same streets. And I was just like, wow, you know, walking the streets that I walked 30 years ago, looking for another hotline to call, you know, like wondering how did this happen? You know, let me ask you a couple of questions. So in this time frame, uh, you know, we talk about demons and one of the things you talked about was relationships. You've mentioned you've had some issues with drugs. You've, um, you know, at this time when this is going on, are you, are you using, are you having? Uh, no. no. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on one second. I'm going to go out sure. here. Sure. Totally and, fine. Uh, so you're not, so hopefully you can, you can hear me while we're, uh, while we're walking. Is it breaking out bad out here? Oh no, you're fine. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Awesome. Yeah. We can cut this part out too. Okay. Uh, so you're not. Yeah, I'm in the dark. I'm going to let them get situated real quick and I'm going to take over the living room. Okay. And I'll stay out here if that's okay. Uh, it's okay if I'm out here. Yeah. Okay. Either one. You need more Okay. No, I'm fine. Thank you, Ruben. Sorry I took over your bedroom. No problem. We had uh, technical difficulties at home. Huh. Hey, Bella. I got to get up early and take somebody to work. Yeah. Don't forget me tomorrow. I won't. I'll try not to. You want to see you? <laughs> Let's see. This is dark. I'll go in the kitchen. Sorry about that, Josh. No, no problem. <laughs> no problem. How's the connection here? Is it still okay? okay. Yeah, yeah, still good. Okay. Yeah, you're still good. All right. All so, right. Uh, no, as far as drug let me, use. Let me ask you. So, you, so at the time, you're going through this. Uh, you're not using. Um, but you're, I got to imagine, being in the same streets where you were abandoned 30 years earlier by your mother. And here you have this woman that you loved with kids and she's essentially telling you don't come home. That had to be incredibly triggering for you. Yeah. But um, see my drug use um, was never like all of my addictions were handled at 18. Like my, my uh, or 19, like I've never, Oh, okay. I take that back except for weed. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to play. I'm not going to, you know, I, I have smoked weed the whole time from the okay. time I was 13 until now. Like mm-hmm. I have never stopped. Um, but aside from that, I've never, you know, everything else I, you know, whenever me and um, my ex-wife that we're talking about, whenever we would go out and because while we lived in Colorado, we would have weekends where her mom would take the kids and we would go out and, and have like party lifestyle, but then we would turn it off. Like right. we could do it and have like, okay, we're going to go to a Motley Crue concert. Let's get some fun stuff mm-hmm. and then never touch it again. And we did that, you know, and, and 
and so I never had a problem, never had a problem with any of the drugs once I left Fresno. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as far as being addicted, all of my addictions, I think was uh, lust and affection and trying to like take as much of that from people mm-hmm. as I could get and then not knowing how to, to give it, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, I think I was very, uh, you know, very sexually driven and, you know, where that's all I knew really was how to on that type of a level. And then that was where I knew like, okay, I'm accepted. Like they do, they do love me and they, they won't leave me because we're being intimate, you know? So I'm locking it in, but really that's the only thing that I had. That's all we ever had with any girl I've been with, you know, I'm very, hard for me to you know um open up anything else yeah you know because because you've been vulnerable for others and then you've been hurt so it's hard to want to be vulnerable again yeah and and it's interesting that you bring that up because it sounds to me like what you what, what you're you're doing and i'm not a therapist by any means but i've talked to enough of them that i know a little something about it is that what you're doing is you're you're looking for external validation to fix an internal problem. Like you, you feel like there's something wrong with you because these people leave you, you know, and if you can just fix that all, you wouldn't need all this external validation. Like, do you think like, you know, do you think Randy, do you think you're a good person? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. I just think that um, I have very bad tendencies when I get depressed, you know? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so it's, I'm too, like I said, I'm two different people. I can be so positive and be like, you know, talking to trip all day, like, man, I'm so excited, so excited, so excited. And then 20 minutes later, I'll be like, you're such an idiot, Randy. Why do you think you think these people care about you? You're just a ticket. You're just a seat that they're trying to fill. You're just this or that. Why do you think that they really, really genuinely care about you? You know, if you stopped recording their matches, would they talk to you? You know, and I'll, I'll do that. I'll t- and I'll be like, I'll argue with myself. You know, you know, I think everybody, I think everybody to some extent does that. You know what I mean? I think everybody to some extent asks, says to themselves, if I weren't here, do people would people really care? You know, if I wasn't the one trying making the phone calls, would they call me? Right. I wasn't the one who was keeping this relationship going. Would the relationship keep going? Um, I I think about that all the time. What you're maybe not to the same extreme, but I deal with a lot of the same issues you do, you know, and and we we may live completely different lives. I remember, you know, you telling me, you know, I know that I, you know, I'm a lawyer and, and I, you know, you look at the, you look at the outside and you see, you know, that it seems like I have all the advantages in life, but I think that I have this weird thing where on one hand, I think I can do things a lot better than everybody else. But on the other hand, I also think that I'm not as good as everybody else and I'm kind of an imposter where I am. And so because of that, I I think that drives me to work a little bit harder, which results in more success. Like it's a weird dichotomy for me because I definitely have imposter syndrome. I constantly am saying, when are they going to figure out that I shouldn't be where I am? <laughs> when are they going to figure out that it's all a facade? <laughs> right. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is that at some point, you know, there has to be a place where you look at yourself and go, no, it's not a facade. If it keeps happening, it's not a facade. If these people keep telling me they care about me, that's real. You mm -hmm. see, like it's not a facade. They really do care about me. And the thing that sucks is that I think the brain reinforces all the negativity. So you could have, I bet, you could have Trip and and Low Devereaux and and Magnum AD and me and uh, and another wrestler all tell you how great you are. And then one one person does something negative, and then all of those negative things come back. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. You got you almost have to have like ten times the validation to kill the one thing that proves the negative. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So yep. how have you learned how have you learned to deal with that? Just um well what I try to do is uh I, I reach out to certain people. I have certain uh like I said, Raphael. Raphael uh Swole is uh one of those people that I can uh just be like, hey, can you just say a prayer for me? You know, and uh, just not feeling it today. I don't feel, you know, I know that there's nothing happening. I know that there's no reason for me to feel this way, you know, but, I, but I'm just feeling dark. I'm feeling destructive. I feel like I want to quit everything and blow up the channel, you know, and I'll just say it. And then <clears throat> five minutes later, I'm better. You know, it's like I just vented through it to somebody instead of beating myself up for the whole day, you know, and then, and then Raphael will tell, will, will say just what I need to hear, you know, or whoever else, you know, I reach out to all of them, you know, Jason Hastings, uh, every, all of them at one time or another in the last year have, uh, you know, helped get me out of my restaurants, you know? <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing, right? Is that that's, that's exactly what, that's what friends are for, man. That tells me that they're real friends. The ones that sit there and listen to you when you're down and give you advice, they're the real friends, you know? And, yes. and the thing is, is, like I said, what I want you to really know out of all of this is that you're not alone, man. You're not alone. Ever, I think that a lot of people feel exactly the way you feel. You know, I mean, uh, I have that same situation. It's situational for me. You know what I mean? For me, it's I've never been, quote unquote, depressed. Like I've never been diagnosed with depression. I've never been diagnosed with anxiety or anything like that. But situationally, I'll sit there. I mean, I this weekend I had a, I had a bad day. You know, I had a couple of run-ins with my kids that I felt I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of. You know, the way that they they handled a certain situation, and uh, you know, and then you get in those moods and you get in a little bit of a funk and you say to yourself, you're like you know what, why am I doing all this? Why am I working so hard? Why am I, why do I care so much? If they don't care, why do I care? You know, uh, you know, you, you're entitled to have those moments. The trick is though, is you got to give it only a moment. You right. Know, you, you, like my, my, I just said, on, I just recorded another podcast with a mental health therapist who um, we didn't get finished with, the, with, with it. It was really great. Very similar situation to you. Little different. He has his own demons that he talked to. I think you'll, you'll really like that one when it comes out. But um, I told him, I said, what I usually tell myself when I feel bad is I say, okay, I'm going to give myself X amount of time to feel this way. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feel this way for the, the rest of the night. I'm going to eat some cookies. I'm going to eat some ice cream. I'm going to do something like that. I'm going to go to bed feeling sorry for myself. But tomorrow when I wake up, it's a new day. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to crush it. And I'm going to stop feeling like this. 
Sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes I wake up feeling crappy, but a lot of the time, you know, uh, it still works. And the other thing is, is that you can't let those funks stop you from the progress. So, so like, for example, you brought, you mentioned the channel. Tell us about your channel. What is the channel about? Uh, it's basically about independent wrestling. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> like I said, started going to matches every weekend. And then I, uh, started wanting to record matches. I was like, man, I really want to record all these matches. Cause when I would come home, I couldn't find what I went and saw. And I was used to doing that for WWF. You know, you mm-hmm. go to the event and then you come home and watch it and try to find yourself on TV. And, you right. know, but now I'm coming home and these guys don't have an outlet. Like there's nothing, you know, at least at Action Coast at the time. <clears throat> this is before they had the Surge show going. And uh, and that was all I knew. So I was just like, man, these guys really don't have anybody to record them or promote them. And I was, I remember thinking when I went on action coast uh, profile page that it was very sad. I was like, man, there's like, they haven't, they haven't posted anything in like six months and it just looked like it was abandoned. So I just, just like, man, I want to get some stuff on here. Maybe I can start recording matches and Steven Larson will think that I'm awesome and they'll give me a job and I can be like their, you know, their, their camera guy. And, uh, uh, so I started recording and then I just started, started falling in love with that and just like how much I really like doing it. And, um, and then I wanted to go see other promotions and then I just kept recording and then I started, and then I had wrestlers asking me, you know, Hey, do you have that match? So I started sending them matches and they were just appreciative of what I was doing. And they would ask if I was going to come out and record their match. And a couple of them told me, like, we don't have anybody, you know, we don't have a, like, a social media team. We don't have somebody to record all our footage and go back and watch it. And that's how we get better is by going back and watching our matches. And if nobody's recording it, then how do we get better? And I was just like, well, I'll come. I'll record everything I ever see. If Like, I thought it was kind of frowned upon, you know, like, they wouldn't want us to do that and uh, record their botches and record their mess ups, but they love that. So I was like, oh, I was all in. And then I just started recording all of Lowe's matches. Then I'd record all trips matches. And then I started recording just everybody's matches. And then, uh, I was, and I just had all these matches on my phone and I was like, what should I do with these? You know? And I was, so we decided to start a wrestling channel, uh, start, putting it all out there so the world you know see if we can get their stuff out and see if we can get more people to attend shows and you know just basically just share my passion because i you know stayed away from it for so long that now i just want to put it out there and overload it so that other people can find it and see how much fun i'm having and come give it a try you know (laughs) well and that's the thing right is that you mentioned so you're actually i mean it's funny I've never told you this, but I know that you have your, uh, you have your your uh, road tripping with Rand Diesel, and now you have an you have an independent wrestling one. I think they're separate, right? Um, no, what yeah, we did was we, I changed I changed I changed road tripping because road tripping was originally what it was supposed to be. Was I had picked uh, twelve wrestlers, um, indie wrestlers that I was gonna travel with from their home 
to, you know, like the city that they were having their fight in. And it was going to be like, a, you know, WWE, uh, the road show. What is oh, that yeah. Like you were going to be interviewing them while you were yeah. driving? Yeah. Oh. We were, I was going to interview them. I was going to start at their house, interview them and their family, get a, get a little taste of what their family or their home life is like. And then I was going to interview them in the car ride and then record their matches, record them in character and record an interview with them in character and kind of put it all together to show how it all, you know, how an independent wrestler's life looks. And uh, so that was the original road trip and was supposed to be that. But then I just ended up getting so into the recording and um, just really um, the freedom, I guess, of being able to, and, and, and the, the interviews kept falling apart. Like, I, you know, something would happen and this guy couldn't make it. And then this, so I could never get the times right. And it just seemed like it was going to be a big pain in the butt. And I don't think I was ever prepared for to interview anybody in a car. I don't think I have the right equipment for it, but I just wanted to, you know, and it was all stemming from the fact that I wanted to get to know you guys. Yeah. You know, I wanted to get to know all of the wrestlers. I couldn't f- spend enough time with you guys you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so how could I do that? How could I, how could I make time to spend with you guys, get to know you make relationships. And that was what I came up with. But in the process of trying to start this channel, I've made 50 best friends out of wrestlers yeah. and I didn't have to get in their car. Yeah. Have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it, well, I was going to say though, you know, it's funny. I've never said this, but you know, I, I, this, this shows on YouTube and it's on Apple and Spotify and stuff. And I've secretly been looking and been like, man, Randy's got a bunch of he's got he's got more he's got more subscribers than I do. I better I better turn this up. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> I watch stuff and I go, hey man. So I'm, I'm a little bit of competitive with you. I'm like, I gotta I gotta get Randy's got more Randy's got more subscribers. And now I'm starting to do it with the is it Tom the other guy? Tom, who starts, Tom and Nora, yeah, yeah, Tom and Nora. I'm like, oh man, they've got that many. I gotta get I gotta get me figure out a way to get me more subscribers. And so. So I, I've loved watching you grow, and it's because, you know, there's one thing I've learned about this game that is so interesting, because I had another cha- uh, another show I did called Saints on Cinema with a buddy of mine, and we, we were doing movie reviews, and we were really good. I thought it was a great show, great concept, but we just were never consistent. You know, we, we would we'd record for a couple weeks, and then I'd get busy, he'd get busy, whatever. And then we just wouldn't record for a while and then we'd come back and, you know, he had a lot of things going on in his life that made it really hard. We just, our schedules couldn't work together. And so that's when I, I kind of branched off and started this and he started his channel. Technically the saints on cinema thing is still out there, but we just haven't done much in a long time. But, but my point is, is that the reason I think you are getting so much, um, you're getting so much success is you're consistent every weekend you're out recording and you're posting every day. And and it's uh, it's that's really it. cool to see, and that's what I'm seeing here is that as is that as I post consistently, subscribers come, and it's and it's been a great it's been a great journey. Just like you, you know, you're you're talking about how much fulfillment you get out of of doing it. I get so much fulfillment being able to sit here like we've been talking for about an hour, almost an hour and a half, and it's just been so cool to sit here and learn about Randy Hochtefer. You know what I mean, and and learn where you came from. And learn where you what what makes you tick, because there's a lot of people out there who would probably listen to your story 
and be a little judgmental and say, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I want to hang out with that guy. But hearing your story and hearing how this has affected you and where you've come from, there's a lot more similarities everybody has than not. Your your story and, I'm, and my story are not, you know, I may not have dealt with the with the drug issues. I may, you know, uh, my my childhood may have been my dad wasn't a biker, you know, but we all have have some, you know, we're all going through something. We're all having a very human. It's very real, you know. Yep. And so, um, did you catch that? It looked like it zipped a little bit. It did, <laughs> yeah. but, but I caught it. So, um, so tell me, like, Rand Okay, good. So, Randy, tell me, you uh, um, tell me about now. You you are now married to April, yes. and how's that going? Uh, good. Um, I think the. I think there's no pressure. Because like it's the first time that I got married. Uh, not because she was pregnant <laughs> and uh, you know, I think I just always tried to like, I tried to do the honorable thing when it came to like my, the girls I was with would get pregnant. Well, I don't want to leave them. I don't want to abandon a da, 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 da. Mm. You know, what would an honorable person do? Well, you would marry him and stick around, you know, but the mm. honorable person also has a lot of honor. And I was lacking in a lot of like things that I needed to be the man that I was trying to be. Like I couldn't just be it because I was pretending to be like, I had to know how to, you know, deal with being a husband or a father. And I had no idea what a real husband or a real father looked like. You know, I knew what I wanted mine to be, but that was fun, engaging, and I do that. I'm great. I'm a fun dad. I'm an engaging dad. My kids love me. But at the same time, there's a lot that I lack in, you know, mm. when it comes to being a dad or a good father or a good provider or, you know, there's. What you do you, know, what so, is, well, what is it that you think you lack? Probably like. Oh, man, I don't know. That's a good question. I know I lack. Um, like toughness. <laughs> I think there's a there's a certain uh, you know. I just I will always avoid confrontation. Like I said mm -hmm. earlier, I've never in my whole life been in a fight. Now I've been hit, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I've mm -hmm. never hit anybody else. I've never punched somebody with the intent of hurting them. I've never. Uh, but do you think that's a bad thing? I, I, I don't know. I think I, I feel like it is a lot because I'll try to like uh, use talking or, or, you know, try to get through this anyway without fighting. And then usually it ends up, they get beat up listening to my advice <laughs> and, you know, and I feel like, well, shoot, maybe I wish I knew how to teach you how to fight, but unfortunately I've never been taught how to fight or I've never, had to really fight because whenever I would get beat up, I just had to go in the fetal position and protect my lung, protect my ribs because they don't know, and they'll kick me just trying to hurt me and they'll kill me. So I, you know, you know I, let me let me tell you something though. Here, this is the thing, and this is I think that's something that that a lot of people run into. I don't think you lack much at all. 
you know, like, so, so what you can't listen, here's the thing, right? Like, I think it's weird that I'm not a very handy guy. I can't work on cars. I did a summer construction when I was 21 years old and said, I'm going to college. I don't want to do this anymore. You know what I mean? I don't, uh, that doesn't make me any less of a man just because I can't put together a, you know, I can't change oil. Like well, I, I probably could figure out how to change oil, but I mean like, you know, uh, that I can't change a carburetor or because I can't put together, you know, build a house. You know what I mean? I right. decided, I decided I was like, okay, I'm not good at these things. I'm going to find a job that makes me enough money that I could pay someone else to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and so, but the thing is, is that like, the, the thing is, is I, th- I firmly believe that 80% of fatherhood is just being there. You know what I mean? It's just being there, being present and not just like being a warm body in the house, but being somebody that you can look at your kid and be like, Hey man, how you doing? And have them actually, and, and let them know that they can actually tell you how they're doing. And like, like really be there and hear it. And the fact that you are an emotional guy, I think that gives you an advantage with your kids. You know, yeah. like I, I, I don't feel like I could ever really go and talk to, at least not, not in my youth. I never thought like I could actually go to my dad and tell him what I was really feeling. You know what I mean? Uh, now I could for sure. It's a different relationship because we're both adults. You know, we, it's, it's different. Uh, and I and I go overboard with my kids, like dragging out with them what's going on in their lives. And so I think that, you know, I think that you're being a little hard on yourself. You yeah, know, everybody says that. Yeah, but, but that's OK. You know what? Here's the thing. I think I'm hard on myself, too. And I think the people who are hardest on themselves tend to, in the end, be the most successful, because if you can actually self-confront which a lot of people can't do right like you you spent a lot of time here this is what i like about you randy you've spent a lot of time here owning your bs you know what i mean like we all have some bs that we need to own and there's a lot of people out there that would blame everybody else for their problems and you have some really serious trauma i mean like you've you've had a really tough life i could if i've heard it in your voice and i've heard it today You've dealt with some stuff that 95% of people haven't. And yet you are still able to look at yourself and say, here are things that I could have done better. That's impressive. It'd be very easy for you to just say, my mom abandoned me. My dad was a crazy biker and I got all sorts of bad stuff going on. And, and you know, my, my, and that's why I am the way that I am and why I've made the mistakes that I've made. And you don't do that. I got a lot of respect for you for that. I really do. Thank you. So, so now, now tell me all this stuff that you've dealt with. Now you're, you're in your fifties. Is that right? Uh, 49. 49. So you just turned 49. I'll be so 50 in a year. You and April have been married for how many years now? Uh, we got married in the pandemic 2021. Okay, great. So you've been married a couple of years now and I've met your, uh, is, is that your stepdaughter? Met yes. her. Okay. Yes. And, uh, and she wants to be a wrestler. Yes. So, uh, that'll be, that'd be fun. And so, you know, uh, tell me, um, how you're feeling about your life right now. How are you feeling about how things are going? Uh, great. I want, I just want to keep doing it. I want my weekends to be every day. 
<laughs> you know, now the hardest part is just getting through Monday and Friday or Monday through Friday. No, but um, like it's just night and day. Like I said, from October to now, um, I've just got I've I've changed. I've become somebody I didn't think I could become. Like I've like I said, I've never had a big circle. I've never had a lot of friends. I've always had like one friend at a time, you know, and uh, it's just very weird to have 30 or 40 people reaching out to me daily. Um, even other fans, wrestlers, promoter, you know, to Tom and Nora, like my competitor, Tom and Nora, they reach <laughs> out to me and they give me advice and we help each other. And they like everybody that, that I come in contact with, except for like two people in this whole world of wrestling has been awesome, you know, and they've all filled something that I've needed, you know, and I think, you know, um, that that just makes my life better right there because I, I wake up on Monday and I wake up on Tuesday and I wake up on Wednesday and I don't want to hide in the dark. I don't want to turn off the lights and call in sick. I don't want to play video games until March. You know, I want to get out of my house. I want to live. I want to interact with people. I want to share my story. I want, you know, there's lots of things that I want to do that I've hidden from long enough. And now I finally have the confidence for the, you know, 80% of the time. Yeah. I am who I want to be right now. Like I always wake up and, you know, tell Facebook that I'm living my best life right now. And I mean it like it really is. And I still have a lot of work to do. Me and April aren't perfect. I still have anger issues and trust issues, but at least I know that I, that I'm not going to find my happiness by going and sleeping around, or I'm not going to go find my hap. Like I've learned enough to know that, you know, cause I learned that a long time ago, but it still had a lot of damage in my marriage, you know, and even though I stopped doing that stuff, the times that I did do it, it took a toll, you know? So no matter how, how good I become, you know, a woman can only take so much betrayal herself. So, yeah. well, well, you know, I'm, I, I don't think you understand how much it, makes me happy that that independent pro wrestling could be a catalyst for creating this life for you and and i and i want to say that because there are so many people out there when they hear you know like i go to work with with this you know this is this is magnum ad right there huh. uh you know that's that's about a, week, a little over a week now that that's finally getting to going away um but like you know you get these they, they see that and they go, this is crazy. And they don't understand the community that is the pro wrestling community. It makes, it can, it can, it affects people's lives. And I hope that the Indo independent wrestlers, cause these guys, I don't think people understand what they do. They travel up and down the coast for very little money, for very little praise. They go out there and they work a show for 10 or 15 minutes in front of 100, 200, even four or 500 people, sometimes thousands. If they're lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but it's, uh, you know, in, in sometimes thousands. And they go out there and for a few minutes, they put on a show that 
for all they know, could be the best thing that's happening in somebody's life right at the moment. And that's that the power of that cannot be understated. And you're living proof of that, you know, and it's it's so great to hear that. For 49 years, you've been trying to work this through and you're start and you're really starting to flourish. And, and it's OK if you if you're having you know, you, you have, everybody's got their stuff that they're still working through. It's okay. You have trauma, right? You still have trust issues, still have addictions, you know, that's okay. Right. It's just about being 1% better every day, you know, and you're, and you're getting there and that's awesome. I really appreciate it. So yeah, thank you. So, so now what is next for, for you and your family? Uh, you, you foresee your stepdaughter becoming a pro wrestler here in the near future? We'll see. I give her a 50-50 chance that that uh, I, if she wants to, yes, she will be. But, um, you know, she's a she's a teenage girl and she might find her job that because in order to be a wrestler, she has to get a job and in order to get a job. She's going to meet new people that and we'll see, you know, we'll see if she stays in wrestling or if she ends up getting swept off somewhere else. But it's her life to figure that out. Yeah. But uh, but. You know, she wanted to. There was there was a, a couple months that I really thought she was gonna, you know, uh, be in a wrestling school by now. Mm-hmm. But you we'll have uh, you have best of the West right there in Fresno with you guys, right? Yeah, and I've still never been to a show. Oh, you got to go, man! Mike Rain is awesome. He's such a good dude. I hear I hear that, but I keep going to Reno instead of across the street. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, I'll tell you what, man. If if you're you're right there for your for your stepdaughter, I would tell you, uh, you're not gonna find much better, especially in the central in Central Valley, than Mike Rain for a trainer. I don't know a guy who cares more about the business, cares more about his students, cares more about putting on a quality product than him. I mean, he's he's a he's a great guy and he's a great wrestler and uh, a good family man too. He'd really take care of her for sure. And, uh, okay. But, um, so let me, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you the three questions I ask everybody. Okay. All right. All right. So what, what would you say has been your biggest success in life? My kids. Yeah. It's the only thing that keeps me trying. Hmm. Yeah. I said this once before on another podcast, uh, interview I did. I, I don't think, I don't think our kids understand how much we really care. You know, I mean, right. I, I don't think they understand how much, uh, how much space in a, in a parent's brain they really occupy. I am constantly thinking about my kids all the time, especially at this time. I mean, you have an 18 year old stepdaughter there. My son, he just started his senior year and it's just thinking about, it, I'm like, man, is he really ready to go out there and take on the world in a year or my daughter who's 14 and she's a freshman in high school. And I just remember she used to be sitting on my lap when she was seven years old. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's 14. Now boys are going to be coming around and, you know, and all this stuff. And, and they're all just growing up and it's just, uh, we worry about them all the time. You know, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would you say is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Well, I would say, I'd have to say my marriages, uh, probably my first, my first marriage, 
would be my biggest failure, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I learned from it is don't ever do that again. Don't, don't (laughs) ever think that, uh, don't ever think that I'm not good enough to be a dad. Like, Mm -hmm. don't, don't, don't quit. Don't run away from my one and two year old daughter, you know, and son, because I'm afraid of what I could do to them or what I could become or what they could learn from me. It's like, you know, I, I should have just owned it all from the beginning and they could have learned so much from me, but instead I was absent for a lot of it. You know, we're great now. Like me and my daughter, you know, I spent my whole life trying to get rid of the depression that I carried around for me and her being so, screwed up you know and uh now we're best friends we talk every day for about an hour every day on my route she calls and gives me psychological therapy because we're two peas in a pod and Mm. you know so it's pretty cool that now that she's you know 24 20 that we're able to finally get past stuff you know yeah no that's great you know and and I think it's great that you've repaired that, you know, it took a long time, but you repaired that. That's really, that's really awesome. And I think the other thing too, is um, we get in this, we get in this, uh, I don't know, this funk, right? I tend to do this all the time. I think about a change that's about to come. You know, my life's changed a lot over the last four or five years, a lot, and it's not been comfortable. And, uh, and I look at the changes and I, and I, I know when I look at them, I get so afraid of all the things that possibly could happen that are bad. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, this could happen. That could happen. But I never really sit there and think to myself, but it could also be the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like these, yeah. these things that happen when you sit there and you're like, Oh, I'm not ready to be a father. I'm not, I'm not good at this. You know, never stopped the thought, but I could be, I could be the one that's the best dad in the world for these kids. I may be exactly what they need, you know? Yep. So, so final question for you, Randy. So one day way down the road, we hope 30, 40 years from now, you're going to, you're going to pass away. Maybe you'll pass away at an independent wrestling show and then we'll have a process for you. (laughs) If not, it'll be on the way. Yeah, there you go. And when that and when that happens, there'll be a funeral heavily attended by pro wrestlers, and someone will give you um, someone will give you a eulogy. And what is the one thing you hope is said in that eulogy? He loved everybody. Yeah. No matter what, like, um, I've got I've got some people in my past that I I probably shouldn't love. But I, I still do. Uh, um, shoot, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Elise Paler. I'm sure you've heard about that uh, tr- tragic murder mm-hmm. that happened back in Pismo. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was three boys that uh, uh, killed killed a 16-year-old girl and sacrificed her and, and, and murdered her so that their band could be more popular. And uh, I was actually friends with one of them. Ooh. And uh, yeah, and his name is Royce Casey. And uh, he's still in prison for what they did. But uh, he had uh, come 
before he uh, turned him to confessed for what he did, um, he had come and, and confessed everything to me, even though I, uh, I, I, I wasn't even really a friend of his. He just, he knew that he could talk to me for whatever reason. I don't know why, you know, he knew uh, 15 people, but he talked to me and told me that he did something real bad and that we were all going to hate him and we were all going to hear a lot of things about him. And he was crying, asking me to forgive him and to forgive him. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I had no idea, you know, and I was like, dude, you're okay. You know, you'll be all right. And, uh, and then the next day he turned himself in, confessed, and the whole story came out. Everything came out and how horrible they did this girl and all this. And I still keep in touch with him. Wow. You know, I still keep in touch with him, write him letters. Like, because, dude, when nobody, when he had nobody else, like for whatever reason, he trusted me. And it wasn't because he wanted anything out of it. There was nothing that I did for him. You know, and because of him being able to bounce it off me, he ended up being able to go to the police. And um, I've always just thought like people are like, what? You still talk to him? And it's like, yeah, like once a year, once every four years, maybe we'll talk to it. You know, it's very rare. And uh, I said, but, you know, and I don't know, man, it's just and I just believe that about everyone, like no matter what people do. Like there's a good person in there somewhere. And um, I just want to try to, to, to not judge because I don't want to be judged, you know, for the, the, the mistakes I've made and the things I've been through or witnessed or caused, you know, um, you know, that, that so sounds, that sounds to me like quite the Christian way, you know, because you know, you know, it's it's interesting. I've I had I remember um, I had a buddy who did some pretty terrible things that ended up in a in a divorce, and uh, it was real nasty. And uh, a lot of his friends were abandoning him, and uh, you know, for good reason. You know, for good reason. Right. And I remember someone getting real upset at me and asking me like, "Why are you still talking to him?" And I said, "I go because one day he's going to wake up." You know, one day he's going to wake up and he's going to realize that he's hit rock bottom. And if everybody's abandoned him, that's going to be a real, that's going to be a real bad spot. And if I'm the one he calls and I answer the phone and I, that's the difference between life and death. I'll answer the phone. That's you right. Know? And so there needs to be more people like you, Randy Octopher, <coughs> even if you're not perfect. And so I appreciate well, listen, it. Uh, I appreciate you taking. I appreciate you taking the time and talking to me. Um, everybody, this is a, another great episode. If you've made it uh, this far, subscribe. We've got more coming up. Randy, we'll have you back on again. Maybe we'll have, <coughs> excuse me. I'm <clears throat> I'm thinking, you know, I've been thinking about doing a new feature on here. I did on my old Saints on Cinema thing called the Top 7 Lists. And uh, we would do top seven movies and different categories. I think about doing something like that. I'll have to have you on here and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about top seven indie wrestlers in Northern California or something and see what we see what we come up with. You have to limit it to seven though. All right. I can do that. <laughs> right on. All right, Randy. So tell tell everybody where they can find your, your YouTube uh, channel. Uh at Rand Diesel 300. All right. Yeah. That's about it. 
everything else, Randy Hochtifer. Nice. Yeah, so go check him out. You can see some of the matches. There's a there's a certain uh six foot seven Mormon guy that has a highlight reel on there. Uh so we we've we've got uh we got Brother Brigham on there with uh with Magnum AD. That match, I just so you know, you saw a match that's 25 years in the making, man. We've been we've been talking about that match for 25 years. I think it came out pretty good. So, so you guys never wrestled before that, huh? Never. That was our first time. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it was is funny. I mean, I, I don't want to smarten everybody up. I mean, it's kind of kayfabe, but you know, I knew he was going to do this. But you know, we get in there and we're like, I go, okay, so what do you want to do? And he's like, nope, we'll be fine. And I'm just like, ah, oh, gosh, here we go. You know what I mean? Like, and so yeah, I mean, we talked briefly a couple minutes before we went out there, and it worked out. You know, it's really good. He's he's a he he doesn't get enough credit. Really, I mean, Alexis Derevko does not get enough credit. The man has put over so many guys, including me. I mean, he has given so many guys opportunities, and he's willing to do a job for anybody if he thinks it's going to be better for the business. I mean, he is legit one of the best guys out there. He doesn't get enough credit. He really doesn't. Yeah, he is a good guy. Yeah. He's one of the first ones that shouted out to us, you know, and after a match, he was like, Hey, everybody just want to thank Randy and his family for driving out here from Fresno. And me and my family were like, how does he know? How does he know where we're from or where we live and wrestlers talk? And they, you know, they were all very appreciative of the distance we drove and that, that meant something. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good one. So he is. So, all right. Well, subscribe, subscribe to, to at Randiesel 300. Subscribe here if you haven't already. And we'll talk to you again uh, another time. All right. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Josh.